0: Hey everyone, you're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you have not heard of us before, you can check us out at www.axcamus.org or come check us out on a Sunday. All right, here is the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. I used to work at Elmer's, a restaurant. Just thought you might want to know. Half price food. The rest is history. After they opened the location that was new at the time, on 40th and Andreessen Street, I worked there, I was a young man, probably about 18 years old. I think I started when I was 16 or 17. Um, And for those of you who have worked in a restaurant, you know that there's kind of a lunch rush and a dinner rush and a breakfast rush and that type of thing, but sort of in between, there are kind of these lulls where not a lot is going on. I was a bus boy, wore a bow tie. Very handsome. very handsome, but... (laughs) I was there, and one day there wasn't a lot going on. We were in kind of one of those times. And so we were looking out the window, and about 100 yards away, out on the street, there was a car, and it was sitting there. And there was a man and a woman in this car arguing. They were, they were standing there, and they were, they were clearly having an argument, but you couldn't really tell. Obviously, we were 100 yards away, we were inside, so we couldn't tell what they were saying. And we didn't know what it was about, um, but since we didn't have a lot else to do right then, we just sort of, you know, gawked. Like, What's going on out there? Um, and we were paying attention to, to this argument. The, the woman was actually sitting in the passenger side of the car, and the man was actually standing talking to her, and we could just see that this argument was getting more and more heated. More and more and more heated, and it was starting to get a little concerning that they were having this, this very heated argument. But, you know, you see people argue, you figure they're, they're having an argument. All of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, as this argument heats up, the guy just hauls off and punches this woman right in the face. I mean, full haymaker, right in her face. She falls back into the car, and he leans into the car and throws two or three more punches at this woman. My body reacted immediately, immediately, and violently. I ran to the door of the restaurant, I had to kind of go backwards to go get to the door of the restaurant, and just started booking out towards this guy's car. The guy either saw me coming or heard me or whatever, I'm not that fast. I was pretty fast that day, (laughs) but I'm not that fast. Um, The guy obviously heard the door open or something, he ran to the driver's side of the car, started it, and he was gone. Uh, before I could get there. And it's probably the smartest thing he'd done in a long time, because had I arrived there and gotten a hold of him, he would have been uh, getting his nutrients through an IV for a long time, and then probably from a straw for the rest of his life, because I was not in the mood um, to be nice um, to this guy. It was, it was very uh, difficult. It was very difficult Uh, I was so worked up after that. I called the police. I told them what I could, described what I could of who the guy was. I didn't get his license plate or anything. I don't know if he ever got in trouble. Um, But the adrenaline that was pumping pumped for a long time. I I was just really worked up. There was something about seeing this man commit violence towards this woman that was so ugly and so evil that I just reacted with an intent to do violence to protect this woman. It was just a natural reaction. And it wasn't wrong of me, it was wrong of him, it wasn't wrong of me. Was it wasn't wrong to be willing to use physical force to protect this helpless and oppressed woman? And while violence is not always the answer, and is often not the answer, there are times when it is necessary to protect the oppressed. So most of our veterans join the military in the first place. They don't want to act for unnecessary reasons, but when it's necessary for protection. But there is an important difference between the violence that I was willing to use to protect somebody from injury and death and the violence that people use for vengeance because they've been personally affronted or attacked or offended. There's a difference between those things. There's a difference in the heart between the man who punches the intruder who's threatening his family and the man who punches his rival because he said something he didn't like. There's just a a heart difference. What we're talking about really here is retaliation. Retaliation is different than protection of others. In the dictionary, this is, well, Google or whatever, this is from the internet, so it must be true. The word retaliate is defined as an intransitive verb, if you want to write that down, we'll test later, to return like for like, like for like, especially to get revenge. Now there's a Latin term, lex talionis, lex talionis, and translated it means the law of retaliation. And often when we describe the lex talionis, we actually use the biblical passages from Exodus uh, 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19 to describe the lex talionis. I'm gonna read you those passages real quick. Exodus 21, 23 through 24 says, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Leviticus 24, 19 through 20. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor... As he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused the disfigurement of a man, so it shall it be done to him. Deuteronomy 19, 21. Your eyes shall not pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This was a law of the Old Testament for the judges, not for people to enact on their own, but for judges to, to deal out justice. There's a lot of reasons why this is. One of them was to stop blood feuds that would have happened and and things like that, It was so there would be some law. But it was the way that things were done. Now, for us, when we're affronted, this is often the way we react when we feel we've been wronged in some way. We want eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We've been in a series called Right Side Up. We've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We find it in Matthew chapters five through seven. This is Jesus Christ teaching us what it looks like to live a kingdom life. It's, It's Jesus differentiating the life that the world would have you live, the culture of the world and the culture of the kingdom, showing us that the culture of the world is upside down while the culture of the kingdom is right side up, and that a kingdom person that a kingdom child, a child of God, is going to live life in a way that looks very different from someone who is not part of the kingdom. And so he's showing us how that works. So let's study the next scripture in this passage. This is we're going to go, we're going to finish, uh, Lord willing, chapter 5 of Matthew today. We're going to start in verse 38. We're going to read through verse 48. So if you have your Bible, you can do that or it'll be up on this humongous screen behind you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But. I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same or do so? Therefore... You shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Easy stuff. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This is a, this is a heavy one for us, Lord. Um, being perfect is, is not something that we normally think we can do, and we can't without you. But I pray that you would show us, uh, through your Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us here in the Scripture today. In your name, amen. Well, what are we talking about here? What's going on? I mean, an eye from an eye is from the Bible. It's from the Old Testament. What we've been learning is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which is where we find this, in the law. And he's proclaiming the fullness of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, stop retaliating. Stop retaliating. As we've been studying for weeks here, if you've been with us, and if not, you can catch it all online, Jesus is emphasizing that which is in our hearts. He's not looking as much to the actions. He's saying, what is in your heart? What's driving those actions? And so as we read through this and we think about the scripture we study it, we need to keep that understanding and that context in mind. Now here's a question for you. How many of you remember the color of a car that has cut you off? You remember. You can even remember the color. No one wants to raise their hand. I know you remember. I know you people. I've seen you on the road, okay? How many of you remember the color of the last car that let you into traffic? Yeah, we got one. We'll talk about lying next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fact is, we don't like getting cut off, right? Most of us. We don't like getting cut off. We don't like... Uh, it when somebody says something rude to us. We don't like it when somebody talks behind our back. We don't like those things. We tend to get pretty worked up, and in each of these cases, we get upset because someone has deprived us of what we see as our rights. It was my right to be in this spot in the lane. When you came in from your lane and cut me out, you took my place in line, that was my right. I was gonna get there one millisecond earlier. Think about that next time you get mad, but anyway. It was my right to be treated with respect. I can't believe that person said that to me, or whatever, right? We have our rights. We have our rights. We wanna retaliate when we feel that our rights have been violated. For most of us here in this room, most of the people that would be listening online, most of them probably live in the United States, are from the United States. And in the United States, i tell you what, we are all about our personal rights. We're all about it. I have the right to say what I wanna say, To live where I want to live, to be free from illegal search and seizure, right? To be appointed an attorney if I'm charged with a crime. Ask Glenn about that. He'll tell you. (laughs) Kidding. I'm a kid. He he paid for me, so he didn't get appointed. (laughs) And on and on and on and on. Right? We have these rights, and they're good rights. By the way, I'm not saying they're not good rights. They're good rights. They're good things. They're important. They're necessary for free people to live in a free society. But they are right only because, only because they recognize the inherent value of people, of men and women, of human beings, as being made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, they have the right to freedom. Therefore, we recognize those rights. Animals don't have those same rights, nor should they. And don't email me because you're Feisty little chihuahua princess deserves her rights too because you like to dress her up and put her in the bag and take her to the grocery store, whatever you do. I've seen it, okay? It's fine. Nobody thinks it's weird. You're fine. You're fine. I'm going to get an email now. Um, Look, I'm not saying Precious, the chihuahua, is not important. I'm not saying that. I will say this. If you turned away from Precious and didn't watch her for a minute, she would eat the turds out of the cat's litter box, okay? So this is not a human being. Okay. Hopefully none of you are doing that when I turn, turn away. Let's be realistic. Now we should care for animals. Okay. Don't get me wrong. We should care for animals. We should treat them well. No Christ followers should abuse animals. We have an obligation to steward God's creation. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I knew I was going to have to get into this for a second, but I don't care about that. What I'm saying is that your rights as a man or a woman are completely different in quality because you were made in the image and likeness of God because you are God's good creation. Special creation, more special than anything else that he's made, right? The animals and all that, you're more special than that, okay? There is a difference between you and all these other things that God's created because he has made you valuable, and he has made you special because he's made you in his image and likeness, and there is a difference, this is important, When we look at this passage, there is a difference between protecting the rights of other people and retaliating when your own rights are violated. There is a difference between those things. Sometimes we, as Christ followers, sometimes we willingly suffer personal injustice and the violation of our personal rights, not because we are not valuable, but because the person who is harming us is also valuable. Sometimes we suffer injustice. Sometimes we will suffer our personal rights having to be given up. Not because we don't deserve them or we're not valuable, but because we care and love so much the person who's harming us that sometimes it's the best thing to do. Jesus suffered incredible injustice. Incredible injustice. Unimaginable injustice. Unimaginable except that it happened. He was murdered. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scorned. He had a crown of thorns pressed down into his perfectly innocent head. Perfectly innocent. He was forced to carry his own cross and then he was nailed to it. And this was done to him by the people that he created. He could have rolled back the heavens. He could have rolled back the heavens and executed justice on every one of those people, on every one of us. He could have destroyed the universe and everything in it in a moment, in the blink of an eye. And he would have been exercising his rights. He would have been exercising his rights. He would have been just. He would have been doing justice. That would be justice at every moment. Then, now, all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis where Adam and Eve decided to sin, decided to rebel against God at every moment since then, it would have been justice, right, and his rights to wipe us all out. The scripture tells us all things truly, and the scripture speaks plainly that the wages of sin is death. That's the payment you get for sin. But Jesus did not do that. He did not exercise his rights. He gave up his personal rights, not just as a man, not just as a man who was being beaten and tortured and mocked and murdered and was innocent, but as God who created everything, he gave up his rights and he gave them up for you and for me. He gave them up for the people who were torturing him and beating him and mocking him and pressing a crown of thorns into his innocent head and murdering him. That's who he gave up his rights for. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, you have hope only because God loved you more than his own rights. You have hope only because God loved you more than his own rights. Romans 5, 5 through 11. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not for the godly, for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, reconciliation, not retaliation. Reconciliation, not retaliation. Our call as Christ followers is to point people to the reconciliation that they can find in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our call. It is not a call to retaliate for every perceived right that we feel has been violated. That is not our call. I could go on, we could go through, we could spend tons of time in historical context. What's he talking about slapped on the right cheek? What was going on at that time? What's he talking, what's a tunic? What's a cloak? I don't even know what that is, right? Uh, we could talk about that. We could talk about how Roman soldiers uh, could make anyone who they wanted to carry their stuff, their luggage, whatever, for a mile. And what, why is he talking about go a mile, go two? What is he talking about? We could talk about all that stuff, but that's actually not what's really important here. That's not the point. The point is that we are to be like Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the reconciler of you and me to God. We are to be like the one who reconciled us to God, and he did not do so through retaliation. If Jesus had used retaliation, we would all be lost. We would all be lost. We have our hope in God because god gave up his rights because god gave up his rights and loved us more than his rights i'm pretty sure that god gave up his rights in jesus christ's death burial resurrection much more than any of you have or will ever be asked to you couldn't he has more god has more rights than we do You will never be asked to go even as far as he did. That's the kind of leader and the kind of God and the kind of king that he is. But do you think that we can be Jesus Christ's disciples and not be like him? That's the point of a follower. That's the point of a disciple is that we desire to be like Jesus. And Jesus did not retaliate. He reconciled. So that's the heart that we need to have. We need to have a heart that loves other people who are made in the image and likeness of God. So much that our heart is not to punch back first, but that the first thought of our heart is the same thought that Jesus Christ had when he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We should have our first thought when our personal rights are taken, our first thought should be, Father, Please, give me a love for this person that makes me care more for them than for my own rights. Give me a love that keeps no record of wrongs. Give me a love like yours, Jesus, for my neighbor. Now, I'm gonna take a step back. Let me tell you what I'm not saying, just so we're really clear. I am not saying that you should allow yourself to be abused, ever. That's not good for you or for an abuser. If you're being abused, get out of that situation. Come to your brothers and sisters in Christ, come to me, come to one of our deacons, one of our elders, one of our leaders, for protection, because that's what we do. We're a family, we're the body of Christ, we're his church, for protection, love, for prayer that Jesus Christ might heal you. I'm not saying that you should allow yourself to be abused. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I'm not saying, also, that you should give everything that you have to everyone who asks you for something. That would conflict with some other very clear duties that you have in Scripture. For instance, you have an obligation to be wise with your money and your possessions. This is what 1 Timothy 5.8 says. If anyone does not take care of his own relatives, especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? Okay? I'm not telling you to enable abusers or oppressors. They they should be resisted, Absolutely. I'm not telling you that you should impoverish yourself and your family. But I will tell you this on the money side. There's a difference between taking care of your family and being a good steward of your money and using wisdom and stewardship and so on. There's a difference between that and being a cheapskate and a miser. There's a difference between making sure that you're taking care of the needs of your family and those who you have been given uh, stewardship to take care of and ignoring the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ and the needs of those in your neighborhood, in your city, in the world. So how much should you give? Well, scripture calls us to tithe a 10th of all our increase to him. That's the offering that we give here in worship service. That's what we do to God. And that's, we give that to his body, to the church. We do it sometimes as an act of worship here in the service. Some of us do it online. Scripture actually isn't clear about the online part. Um, Pretty pretty sure it's okay. If you don't believe that Scripture teaches that, I would love to have that conversation with you, and you can can fix my theology on that. Just make sure you don't have anything that's maybe a bias, you know, like maybe you want to keep your money. Anyway. Beyond that, beyond your tithes and, and offerings that you would give to the church and, and to the body of Christ, how much should you give to your neighbors, to, your, to the world, to the town, to whatever, to the people who are in need? Well, um, first I would say, ask God what he's calling you to do. For those of you with much, much is required, right? So ask God. Uh, but not unsurprisingly, I actually like what C.S. Lewis had to say on this subject. You may have heard of him. He says this, I do not believe one can settle how much, one, how much we ought to give I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Our hearts should desire to love and serve our sisters and brothers. If you are at work and you work at a place and you and the, and the fellow next to you, you make the same amount of money and you live in a house that costs the same amount, you drive the same kind of car, you go on the same vacations, you spend the same money, amount of money at movies, you do all the same things that, that this person does, you're able to do all those things financially that the person next to you who makes the same as you does and this person's not a believer and you are, there's something wrong a Christ follower should look different than the world. And that includes the way that you spend money, right? So when Jesus is saying, give to those, don't, don't uh, fail to give to those who, who need and, and those who would ask to borrow you and so on, uh, I would say the safe rule here is, what is the heart of Christ towards that? I'm not saying impoverish yourself. You should take care of yourself. But you shouldn't be living as large as you possibly can on what you earn passage of scripture sort of goes against the world a little bit it should not be that there are people who are working hard families that are working hard who are suffering while others in the church live lavishly now i'm talking about families who are working hard and trying to do what's right and something happens the car breaks down somebody passes away in the family whatever and they have major financial needs and others are living lavishly while we let the other person suffer that's, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have that happen in the church. This passage of scripture is just, it's, it's very against the world because here's what the world says. Stand up for your rights. Don't let anybody push you around. Don't take no crap from nobody. The retaliating world, the teach people a lesson world, the eye for an eye world. If you want to do this right, here's a simple way to process this in your heart. Be passionate for the rights of others, but be generous in giving up your own rights. Be passionate for the rights of others, but be generous in giving up your own rights. Fight for their rights, but give up your own rights. Be a disciple of Christ that points to reconciliation with him by your actions. Don't be a retaliator. Be the servant who forgives the person who owes him money because he knows how much he's been forgiven. Don't be the servant who's been forgiven a billion dollars and goes and chokes the guy who owes him a $100. Don't be that person. Christ's church has been used by God for more good in this world when we have given up our own personal rights and fought for the rights of others than we could ever achieve by retaliation. All retaliation is gonna to say to somebody, is that you're in the fight too. It's gonna to justify them. There's something very powerful about the one who gives up their rights because they trust God so much, as Jesus did for us. And God will continue to work through his church if we, if we start worrying less about maintaining our own rights, and start looking to the good of other people. We can become so passive, so concerned with keeping things how they are, maintaining the status quo, where we're relatively safe and comfortable, especially kind of in this sort of suburban life that we live out here. Just keep things how they are. So many people in Nazi Germany of the 30s and 40s who were in the church were more concerned with their own safety and maintaining their own rights and maintaining their own relative wealth than they were with the murder of millions of Jews. So many in the church in the American South were more concerned with keeping the status quo and not ruffling feathers and not letting things get agitated than they were about justice. They were annoyed with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr and other agitators, as they called them, who were actually out there turning the other cheek and giving up their own rights to fight injustice and segregation. Listen to some of the words from the letter from Birmingham Jail. Just a few sections of it. It was by Martin Luther King Jr. He was in jail um, for his civil rights uh, actions that he had taken, and, and some folks in the church, some pastors, had criticized him. And so he wrote this. One of the things he said was this. There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated." They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide. Not such an ancient evil, is it? And gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. And he wasn't wrong. That is what's happened. Go talk to some young people today. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. But even if the church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. He goes on later to say, you warmly commend the Birmingham police force for keeping order and preventing violence. I don't believe you would have so warmly commended the police force if you had seen its angry, violent dogs literally biting six unarmed, nonviolent Negroes. I, do not bu- I, do not, I don't believe you would so quickly commend the policemen if you would observe their ugly and inhuman treatment of Negroes here in the city jail. If you would watch them push and curse old Negro women and young Negro girls. If you would see them slap and kick old Negro men and young boys. If you would observe them as they did on two occasions, refusing to give us food because we wanted to sing our grace together. I wish you had commended the Negro demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of the most inhuman provocation. One day the South will recognize its real heroes. They will be the James Merediths courageously and with a majestic sense of purpose facing jeering and hostile mobs and the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer. They will be old, oppressed, battered, or women, symbolized in a 72-year-old woman of Montgomery, Alabama, who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride the segregated buses and responded to one who inquired about her tiredness with ungrammatical profundity. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. They will be young high school and college students. Young ministers of the gospel and a host of their elders courageously and nonviolently sitting in at lunch counters and willingly going to jail for conscience's sake. One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best and the most sacred values in our Judeo-Christian heritage. The people of the civil rights movement were strong defenders of justice for the oppressed, but they weren't retaliators. They were willing to give up their own personal rights to fight for others. The people of the early church were strong defenders of justice and righteousness, but they were not retaliators. They were willing to be oppressed, murdered, sawed into torn to shreds in the arena by lions and wild animals, lit as torches on fire on the road to Nero's parties. They were willing to go into towns ravaged by plagues to care for the sick. And not just the Christ followers who were sick, but the idol worshippers who were sick too, risking their own health and often dying to do it. They cared for the babies that were thrown out on the trash heaps, which was a normal part of Roman life. They went to prison. You guys ever heard of Caligula and Nero? Those were the folks that were the power structure at the time of the early church. That was the government, Caligula, okay? And we don't hear one word from anyone in the New Testament that says, fight for your own personal rights. Is that us? Are we like the early church? Are we like those who were in the abolitionist movement, the movement for women's rights, and the right to vote, the movement for, uh, to end segregation? Are we like that? Are we willing to be bitten by dogs, beaten by police, jailed and hated for the rights of other people? Are we willing to give up our rights for theirs? Are we willing to risk discomfort for others? God has changed many hearts Because so many Christ followers had given up their rights. Not because they fought with someone because someone had offended them, but because they gave up their rights for others. God has changed hearts because people cared for their oppressors, because they loved their enemies. That's what Jesus did for us. He loved his enemies. That's who we were and who some of us are. Those of us who have not followed Christ yet. This goes right in the last section of the passage. I'm going to read it again. We read it earlier. This is uh, five forty-three through forty-eight of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies. Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The Bible does say to love your neighbor. It does not say to hate your enemy. They added that. That's the way they were interpreting it at the time. You might remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was sitting there. Some lawyer came up to him and asked, who is my neighbor? Lawyers are the worst. I'm just telling you terrible. I say, I, all the time I tell people, lawyers are terrible. Um, if you're an attorney in here, don't worry. You're in good company or bad company because I'm one too. But the story, the story though, goes to talk about this good Samaritan and Christ's point is that everyone is our neighbor. Whether we would call them a friend or an enemy, they're all our neighbor. And we are to love our enemies, not to hate our enemies. And that should burn in our hearts for those of us who have hate If you have hate in your hearts, if you're holding on to hatred, Jesus is calling you away from that. You are not to hate your enemies. Some of us have some pretty harsh things to say about other people. Some of us have harsh things to say about people who take maybe a different political position than us or or who have particular sin that they struggle with or who have a different religious belief or who live in a different place or whatever it happens to be. We have harsh things to say or just the person that hasn't treated us right, or we don't like, or we feel insecure about, or whatever, we have harsh things to say. I wonder what we would say if we loved them. I wonder how we would talk about them if we loved them. I wonder what we would post on social media if we loved them. We are supposed to love them, bless them, do good to them and pray for them. Is that what we're doing? There is no special historical context about this passage of scripture that softens it. Not one iota. It stands stark there. Love your enemies. If anything, it's much worse for us because the people that Jesus was preaching to at the time that were sitting there were actually being physically oppressed. They were under an occupation by a foreign power. I don't know if you know much about Romans, but they weren't the nicest folks around. That's what they were dealing with every single day. Jesus was telling them to love the people who were literally physically oppressing them every day of their lives right then. We can hardly keep ourselves from writing this scathing Yelp review if the barista at Starbucks looks at us funny. Right? Right? I can't even believe <laughs> one star. <laughs> These people have Roman soldiers like up in their business and just oppressing them, and they're supposed to love them. We can't even we have hard time loving our buddies, our families. We've got a long way to go, I think. We are to love our enemies. And Jesus tells us why. Why? that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We are to be like God. We are to be like Jesus. God loves us, and he loved us when we were his enemies. And if he didn't love us when we were his enemies, Jesus never would have died for us. He never would have died for you. He never would have died for me. He never would have reconciled us to God and risen again. Jesus has been good to you your whole life, or you would have been utterly destroyed the first time you yanked on your little sister's hair just to watch her scream. I know you, wicked little kids. I know how you were. I had children too, and I was one. I know your heart because it's like mine. We were his enemies. Some of you still are. You haven't chosen to follow Christ yet. And yet you have been shown incredible grace already and patience. When Jesus says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, he's talking about something many people call common grace. Common grace. Here's the thing. You were made in the image and likeness of God and God loves those who he created in his image and likeness. Everyone, every one of you, every person, every person that you think is your friend, every person that you think is your enemy, he loves all of them. All of them. When you were his enemy, when you hated him, when people hate him, whatever, he loves all of them. Even though they may still be his enemies and he's been good to all of them. He's made his Son rise on the evil and the good. And sent rain on the just and the unjust. Psalm 145, 8-9 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Luke 6, 35-36. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Acts 14, 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Have you ever had a good time? Ever? Because if you've ever had a good time, it is an absolute grace because you didn't deserve it. It was a good gift from God. It's unmerited favor. Grace. Common grace. Every breath that you take is grace. Grace, a gift from a God who you have made your enemy and for the Christ follower who is reconciled. That's his heart. He loves you. He loves you. And that's gotta be the heart of his children, us. If we're gonna be good children of our good, good father, we gotta be like him. He gives us grace. Even when we were his enemies, even when we were sinners, did you know that he was still giving you common grace and keeping you from doing as much sin as you might've done? which is a scary thing for me when I think about how wicked I was. And he was still restraining some of that. The fact that you have a conscience, that you know the difference between right and wrong, that's grace. His patience is grace, but here's the thing, and I gotta tell you this part of it too. His common grace will not last forever for the rebel and the enemy of God. It will not last forever. one three in the Old Testament says this. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. There is a reckoning coming. It's God's patience that is his grace right now. He is slow to anger, incredibly slow. I can't even count to 10 when I'm angry. It's been thousands of years and he's hanging on for us rebellious people, because he loves us so much. But it is not infinite, his patience. The wrath of God is coming for the unbeliever and the rebel. I'd be lying to you if I said anything else. Maybe some of you don't want to hear that. Maybe it keeps you up at night, and it should. It should. If you will not turn away from your sin and accept the free gift of grace from Jesus Christ, justice will eventually come. You will eventually experience it. No more common grace. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. God loves you. He does not want it for you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you and for me. And he raised him from the dead, defeating hell and sin and death, and he made mercy triumph over judgment. And that's all yours if you'll follow him. That's why the Christ follower has what some people call special grace. Special grace. This is a grace of salvation. It's beyond common grace. It's special grace. It's undeserved, even more undeserved. And it's for the believer. There's a special grace for those who put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ and follow him with all of their heart. I would call it something a lot more than special. I would call it unthinkable, amazing, awesome Incredible, glorious grace. Because that's what it's been for me. I was a wicked, rotten, rebellious sinner. And I have been gloriously saved by Jesus Christ. Talk about special grace. King of kings who died and rose from the dead loves me. And he loves you. Jesus Christ gave up his rights for me. Who am I to exercise all of mine against you? If I want to be his disciple. Look, it's easy to love those who love you. That's why we don't have to put in the Bible, love people who are nice to you. Like, make sure you enjoy cake and ice cream. Yeah, I know. I'm going to enjoy cake and ice cream. You have to write it down. I've, I've lived that theology, okay? Got the proof. You show me your faith without works. No, that's a different. My works are eating the cake and ice cream. Don't worry about it. I'll watch the video later. You'll get it the second time around. Listen, it's easy to love those who love us, although we don't always do that. But if we're to be children of God, if we're going to be like God, our good Father, our Father in heaven, we will love everyone. We will not hate. We will love everyone. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How did he love us? He gave up his rights for us. He was willing to die for us. You want an example of what it looks looks like to love like Jesus loved? Look at the cross and ask yourself, am I loving like that? Because that's how he's called us and commanded us to love not just our friends, not just our family, not just the people who it's easy, not just the people who are just like us, not the people who just act just like us not the same kind of culture as us and whatever, but everyone all over the world. That's the call that you have, to love as Jesus loves. And boy, does he love you. He would go to the ends of the universe for you and he did. And we will be perfect. Not because we can be perfect in our own power, but because the Holy Spirit of God will empower us to live in the power of his spirit. Don't tell me it's too hard. I know it is. I've seen your lives and mine. I know it's too hard to be perfect. That's what his awesome grace is all about. You need to know who you are, Christian. Know who you are. You are a child of the king. You are a child of God. You are part of the body of Christ. You have his Holy Spirit. Live like it. Live like it. Don't live in your own strength. Live in the power of his strength. That's the amazing life he has for you. Listen, I've got kids, and I don't think I've ever told them to do something that I didn't know they could do and that I wouldn't have helped them do if they couldn't do it on their own. How much more so would our God never tell us to do something that he didn't know that we could do? Because he does not suggest, but he commands us, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven as perfect. It's a command, he's not gonna give you the command if you can't do it. And you can't do it except through him. But you can be perfect, don't live in this defeatist attitude that you hear people say, hey we're all, nobody's perfect. We're all sinners, so it's okay that I do this, that, or the other thing. It's not okay. It's not okay. The Holy Spirit will empower you to live in his power. He would not tell us to be perfect unless he was going to give us the means to do so, and that means it's his Holy Spirit. So let's live in victory, not in defeat, and let's move, forget what is behind, and move forward to the heavenly call of perfection. He can do it. He is doing it in you now. He's making something new in you. So confess your sins and repent and move forward in his power. Love your enemies. Don't retaliate. And show the world what it looks like to live right side up, that they might be drawn to the one who has reconciled us to God, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer thanks for listening to that axe church sermon we hope you got a lot out of it if you did we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it so share your story with us share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.